Well, what a week. Uh, not, not that eventful uh, if your mind has been solely concerned about your holidays and your good times in uh, Lindisfarne or wherever you might have been this past week, but if you have sort of had a moment to just turn the news on or um, watch the Twitter feeds, uh, you'll see uh, that our, uh, the United States, one of our uh, closest allies, is going a bit loopy. Uh, the, uh, the USA uh, this uh, past week, I think, uh, has shown us the fruit of a this-world-only mindset. Let me expand a little. If this world is all there is, then my experience of having my king's rule, or you know, in this case president's rule, stolen by a rigged election, must be dealt with at whatever cost, because this world is all there is. Or if you roll back a few months, if this world is all there is, then my experience of systemic racism must be dealt with at all costs and the system overthrown. Both sides in this kind of apocalyptic uh, uh, determination to, to shape the world after their own desires, right or wrong that they may be. When this world is all there is, all that matters is the end result. When this world is all there is, every issue becomes life and death. When this world is all there is, who's got power matters immensely. I think as uh, we in the West experience a, uh, a, a less cultural um, understanding that God is in charge, regardless of how many people actually had a true relationship with him, it, as we've lost the kind of permeating of the culture of the fact that God exists, he's real and he's in charge, we see uh, a, a new God, the God of, of politics and power in this world. And what we see as well, I think, is that living exclusively for the kingdom of this world is utterly exhausting because you've got to keep protesting and keep demonstrating and keep rioting in order to get what you need now. And so as a Christian, we can just stop for a moment and say, well, thank goodness. Thank goodness this world is not all there is. Thank goodness that Jesus came to bring a new and a better and a different kingdom. And in fact, what we have in our reading today from Luke's chapter 17, verse 11, through to chapter 18, verse 8, is a story about the kingdom, the new, the better, and the different kingdom uh, a kingdom which brings uh, restoration and healing, uh, a kingdom which is here in part but will come in full, and a kingdom which we are called to a different kind of waiting for. And we'll see how that all unpacks as we work through it. So, first we see the kind of kingdom that Jesus comes, the kingdom that brings restoration and healing in verses 11 through 19 of chapter 7. Uh, 17. There, uh, we heard it with M in the kids' talk, Jesus heals 10 men, uh, tells them to go to the priests, to, and as they're going, they get healed. 
the priests announce them clean, one of them comes back to say thanks. Now, of course, for these 10 individuals to have leprosy, to have that skin disease, uh, this has made them not just sick, but complete social outcasts. I imagine perhaps a little bit like what someone might feel today if they got diagnosed with coronavirus. Get away from me. Get out of here. And so they cry out and beg for Jesus to have mercy on them and to heal them. And he says, go to the priests. And they have to take a leap of faith and go because the scriptures doesn't say they're healed and then they are to go to the priest to get it verified. He just says, go to the priest and as they go, they're healed. It's an amazing miracle because by the time they... Uh, uh, get to the priest and the priest declare them clean and the miracle has happened, they, they realise that, that it's Jesus who's done this. But of course, it's only one of them who takes the time because they've now left where Jesus was, where they cried out to him. They're with the priest. It's only one of them who makes the effort to go back, find Jesus and thank him. And what we see is it's a Samaritan at that an outcast as far as people were concerned from God's kingdom. So this guy was a double outcast, leprosy and Samaritan. And he's the one who gets healed and who comes back and who gives appropriate thanks. And so in the opening uh, part of our reading today, we have this this story of of Jesus bringing healing, which is actually a story of uh, the, the kingdom of God in action through the ministry of Jesus. The kingdom of God which brings healing and restoration which ought to lead us to thanksgiving. See, when we experience the work of Jesus, we find ourselves restored. Perhaps not physically as in this story, but all of us, at least spiritually, uh, when we encounter the work of Christ and his salvation for us. And when we encounter that restoration... It ought to lead us to praise and thank God for what he's done. But that can often get easily overlooked. Often our human nature is to credit ourselves for the good things and to cry out to God only in the bad times. And I wanted to stop and ask you a question for a moment. When was the last time you stopped and and actually thanked God for all that he's done for you. Like, you didn't sort of, like, really want to talk to him about that illness that you've got that you kind of want him to sort out, and you better, you thought you better chuck some thanks on at the start. Like, you actually just were like, I just got to praise God today for all he's done for me. I just need to thank the Lord, for he is good. And the scriptures are full of reasons to thank God for his goodness, for his, uh, for his mercy, for his salvation, uh, for just who he is, let alone all the things that he's done for us. When we experience the kingdom of God through the person and work of Christ, it ought to lead us to thankful hearts. But we also see a few other things in this uh, story of healing. We see that it is Jesus who brings the kingdom of God to bear. You saw that uh, in verse 15 when uh, Jesus has healed them, but the, the, the Luke tells us that 
the, the one who comes back comes back praising God because he, he understands that Jesus is doing the work of, of, of God and, and bringing the kingdom of God. We see too that it's God's, God's blessing comes through faith. They cry out, that's an act of faith. Can you help us, Jesus? And then when he says, go to the priests, they're not yet healed and they have to go. God's blessing and restoration comes through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the one who brings the kingdom of God to bear. Sometimes we can spend too long, I think, trying to make uh, sure we've got everything sorted with God. We want God to make things clearer before we act or move. But actually, when we hear the words of Jesus and he tells us to go or to do or to wait or to trust, that's what we ought to do, not, not, not second guess. Not that we don't consider evidence, but at some evidence, but at some point we do just take a step of faith. So God, through Jesus, brings his kingdom to bear. It's a kingdom of restoration. It's a kingdom that uh, we enter into and experience the blessings of through faith. It's a kingdom that unexpected people are a part of. It's the Samaritan who is healed and who is so moved by what God has done for him comes back and finds Jesus and gives thanks to him. Samaritans were not supposed to do that. You know the parable of the Good Samaritan? Uh, Part of the point of that story is that uh, it's this outcast who's behaving more in line with the ways of God than the Jews. Unexpected people respond to the mercy of the kingdom of God. And so we're called as Christians to never write anyone off. I remember when I was at school, I used to um, kind of have a mental tick list in my mind about who uh, I thought, whose life was like as close to mine uh, as possible and just needed uh, a little bit of Jesus added on uh, because I could invite them to youth group because like they wouldn't have to change that much. And I, and I, and I wouldn't think... I might invite the guy who's smoking pot behind the uh, pavilion. I won't invite him to youth group because, like, he's got a lot of work to do. But, of course, that's just foolish thinking because unexpected people can respond to God. And if we keep using a human mindset to try, well, all he needs is Jesus and then he doesn't need to change anything. Well, one, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever thought. But... Two, we don't know where God's kingdom is going to work and who's going to respond to faith because I tell you what, if I was uh, one of those people in Jesus' day uh, and I still had the same mindset that I had when I was at school, if I was doing a tick list of the ten guys who went to go and get healed, it wouldn't be the Samaritan who I would have picked to come back. Unexpected people respond to God. And so we need to be sharing the gospel with all of them, sharing this good news of the kingdom. And of course, we see that when God does work in our lives, when God does bring his salvation and restoration and blessing to bear, then we can either appreciate or underappreciate that. 
All ten are healed. All ten experience the grace of God in some way, and yet one returns to give thanks. When we experience God's kingdom at work, God's restoration at work, God's rule and reign in our lives at work, we ought to be thankful. We need to build a habit of thankfulness. So it's a story where the kingdom of God, though it's not mentioned, is, uh, is sort of at work through the whole thing. This first uh, story of the healing of these ten men. Jesus has come. He brings the kingdom of God. He is the one who it comes through. We enter it through faith. Uh, we experience its blessing, its restoration. Uh, and then we see that that's, well, these are some things that are going on behind this story because the next story is a story about the kingdom of God. And we see that Jesus, as he teaches about the kingdom of God in response to one of the Pharisees in verse 20, uh, is teaching about the kingdom of God that is both here now but not yet fully manifested. So let's have a look at verse 21 where Jesus says, uh, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. There's something um, imminent about the kingdom of God. But look at verse 30. It will be just like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is, in, is on housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one should uh, go into the field, go back into the field for anything. That is, it's going to be unexpected and, and come in the future. The kingdom of God is both imminent and future-orientated. It is both now, but not yet. And this is a really important thing that we need to know as Christians about the kingdom of God that comes in the ministry of Christ uh, and will come again. Uh, when he returns, that we live in in-between times. And uh, I've, I've got a bit of a picture to show you uh, that you can see. Hopefully you can see that. And in that picture you see at, at the top it's got uh, essentially what the uh, Jewish people thought would happen when the Messiah Came. So they thought they lived in a particular age, uh, the Messiah would come and he'd make everything right and then they would live in this new perfect world forever and ever. But that's not how it pans out. And so let me just pull up the picture for myself so I can reference it. what we see instead is that uh, in the coming of Christ, the kingdom uh, is here now, and that begins the, 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 the time of Christ's rule and reign, though it is not yet fully realised. It's not yet fully here. So uh, what, some, what uh, Paul refers to as the present evil age uh, the, the age without the Messiah, it continues. And we live in between these two 
worlds, the new age and the old age, the age of the rule and reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, and the old age, the rule of sin and Adam, or the present evil age. And we live between comings. And so we experience both aspects of what it is to experience the the restoration, hope and healing that comes from uh, living uh, in God's kingdom, but we still also experience the fallen world that we live in until Christ comes again. So if you want to read more about this, if this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this before, that comes from, well, it comes from a few places, but there's primarily a guy called George Eldon Ladd. Uh, if you want to read him, he's got a book on the kingdom, uh, and he talks in great detail about how the scriptures describe this now but not yet nature of the kingdom of God, the kind of uh, picture that Jesus himself paints here in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. So we see that it's both now but not yet. We also see that that for those who live now in in the in-between times, there's kind of two ways to go about living, isn't there? Carrying on with your old life and totally ignoring the fact that the reign of uh, God has started through Christ or realising that this world will pass away and that a new world order has begun and, and, and living in line with that. And for those who live according to the old way, the pre-Christ way, the, the, the rule and reign of sin and Satan and death, well, they're going to get a big shock. Jesus talks about Noah and Lot, and you'll remember that Both of them knew what was coming, the judgment of God. And so they chose to live in faith with what God had told them he would do. Flee the city in Lot's case, build the ark in Noah's case. And when the judgment of God came, they were ready and God saved them. And Jesus said, this is exactly what it's going to be like for us. When the Son of Man is revealed, there'll be those who've ignored him and they're going to get the shock of their lives. But for us, we'll be ready. We will be ready. We will know that this day was coming. There's more that could be said. But one other thing is that though we know it's coming, we don't know when it's coming. And that's really important. Because what we actually need to live in is a state of perpetual readiness. Because when Christ returns and and brings judgment and salvation, it will be unexpected. You know, if you look up predictions of the second coming of Christ on Wikipedia, you can get 54 instances at least, I thought that was a bit small actually, but 54 that they've chronicled uh, of past and future predictions of the exact date of Christ's return. 
Some, some, you know, just ballpark a year, 1850. Uh, some, you know, literally get down to the, uh, the small details of day, month, year, hour, potentially even minute. And what's interesting is, is as if you look at the 54 uh, uh, people who have predicted exactly when Jesus would come, it includes some pretty interesting names. We, we often think that um, it's a bunch of weirdos who, who do this kind of thing, but actually some pretty interesting people on that list. Isaac Newton predicted that Christ would come in the year 2000. John Wesley gave a, a, a couple of, uh, uh, he gave a, a bit of an open uh, amount of time, but nonetheless, he was like, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen here. So unless we think it's only the crazies who, who, who make these sorts of predictions, I mean, John Newton, uh, Isaac Newton and John Wesley are two of, uh, potentially, of the greats of, of times past. And they've made the mistake try and get too specific because of course what we know is if we understand that we do live in these in-between times that we're always going to see signs of the times because it's the one time there's always going to be wars and famines and pestilence these sorts of things that the bible talks about the end times because we're in them so instead of thinking oh there's more pestilences than I've noticed ever before in my life. Maybe Jesus is coming back soon. No. We don't get distracted by that. We just know it's happening, and so we live in response to that. We live in response to the fact that one day it will come and we need to be ready. And that's what the parable of the persistent widow is about, the last part of our reading today, verses 18 to 20. Uh, sorry, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. If this is the case, that it's going to come unexpectedly one day, how should we live? 18.1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he tells the story of the, the uh, unjust judge or the persistent widow. This, this unjust judge who eventually grants justice to the widow because she just kept on badgering him. And Jesus says, if that can happen, then of course God will answer your prayers. God will eventually come back and bring justice. He will come back and put things to right. Jesus will return, judge the wicked, and save those who put their faith in him. And so while we wait... We pray, and we pray especially for justice. I think one of the interesting things, if you go back to my opening story of the past week, or really the past year in, in American life, as we've sort of watched on from Australia, and it's had little bits of effect on us here in Australia too, is that whatever side of politics you're from, the the injustice that you feel has been done to you has been the cause of so much violence and hatred for both opposite sides. But as Christians, 
when we experience injustice, yes, we can try and, and work for, for justice, but actually, in the end, we're called to our knees to pray and to beg God to fix this world. And we actually also are called to know that though we may experience some of it, it, it it's always going to be here until Christ returns. There will always be injustices. Things will always go wrong. People will always let us down. The government will always fail us. Education will not solve everything. Because we live in a world still affected by sin. The only hope is Jesus. His kingdom, which we have absolutely experienced and we pray that God might let us experience more of now. But at the end of the day, we know justice will be served when he comes again. And what peace that brings to our hearts. While we wait for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace to come and bring justice we turn the other cheek. See, when you, when you understand that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will, will sort everything out, you operate in, in, in such a radically different way in, in, in the world because it's not all about this world. It's not all about this king. It's not all about this kingdom. Who cares if your guy loses the election or wins the election? It's, it's, it's ultimately not going to matter. We don't need to riot, we need to fall to our knees. Apparently, as people were storming the capital uh, of the United States during the week, they did so with Jesus flags. Well, anyone who thought they were taking Jesus with them ought to have instead been on their knees begging for justice to be done if that's what they thought had happened, a great injustice. And I'm making no commentary on the election. I know nothing about it. So, we live in the now but not yet. The kingdom of God has come. We experience some of it now, the restoration of our, of our, of our lives. We move from death to life through facing Christ. Sometimes we experience even more of that, but we still experience the here and now of sins, Satan, death and suffering. So what do we do? We pray. We pray especially for justice, but for whatever it is that's impacting us. And if we think of that opening story of the, the, uh, the ten men who were, were healed from leprosy, we continue to be thankful. Because what an antidote that is to getting too caught up in this world if we continually bring thanks and praise to God. Let's pray for justice, for peace and let's continue to give thanks and praise to God because with God there is always something to be thankful for. It's easy to worry about this world when we take our eyes off God's kingdom and start getting focused on the kingdom of this world. But instead of worrying we need to lift our eyes to heaven. Be thankful for who God is and all he's done. Bring our concerns to him and then seek wisdom 
to do whatever it is that God requires of you today. And then the next day, wake up and do it again. Give thanks to God, pray for justice, and seek wisdom to do what God wants of you that day. And God promises that he'll help you each and every day do the things he's calling you to, provide the things you need. We actually do ourselves a great disservice when we get too future-focused or too past-focused. Bible is very today-focused. And today, God's calling you to cry out for justice, to, to, to come to him with a thankful heart and to do something that probably looks like loving your neighbour today and then do the same tomorrow.